You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. the Lord wants us to believe that we are in the last days. Why? Because we are in the last days. This should give us an urgency to take the gospel message everywhere we go. It should give us a perspective on material things which will pass away when the Lord comes. We don't have any use for material things when the kingdom is at hand. This is a surprise that is waiting. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you will be what they called left behind. You will go through this great time of wrath. While it was a surprise for Peter and John as they came and saw the empty tomb, it shouldn't have been. They were told before that this would take place. Today, Pastor Dave will share how surprised some people may be by not getting into heaven. They need to hear the truth now so that they can be saved. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of John chapter 20 as he continues his message. Surprise! more upset than she was before. Where's the body? They'd taken him. Not only was Jesus dead, but now there's no body. Oh, this is too much for her. My heart is breaking all over again. Notice, notice one thing. Never a thought of the resurrection. There was never a thought that he would rise from the dead. They didn't even go there. It never crossed their mind. Instead, someone has taken the body. Someone has taken the body. When the women went to the empty tomb, they looked in there, and what did they see? They saw with their physical eye, not their spiritual eye. They saw, saw things on the spiritual plane, and they, I mean, excuse me, on the physical plane, but they didn't relay it spiritually. They didn't see it spiritually. All they knew, that the tomb was empty. Someone had taken him. Imagine Peter and John hearing this. Did they look at each other and, and gasp? What? I, I can imagine looking at her faces. He's what? What? What, just, what are you talking about? Other accounts said that they didn't believe her. Other accounts said they didn't believe her. But what came to my mind, they were told that the resurrection was going to happen, but they couldn't believe it. It didn't sink into their hearts. Where is he? So they didn't believe Mary. They had to go see it from themselves. So they went out to go to the tomb. Let's look at verse 3. Peter therefore went out, and the other disciple, and were going to the tomb. Now, I love the other disciple, John. He's so modest, the one whom Jesus loved. He's so modest about his thing. He never says his own name, but he always wants to know you that, hey, Jesus loved me. Yeah. I'm the one Jesus loved. These guys are incredible. I love it. So Peter goes out. Peter leaves. They start the walk. Now, it seems like Peter left first, but I'm sure John caught up with them. You know? Now, you have to remember, back in this culture, men didn't run. Men did not run. They had these long robes. In order for them to run, they had to gather up the robe around their waist and they had to run. All right. So picture this. They go out the door and they start the walk. 
Now you've walked with a friend going someplace, and you start looking at each other, and you start walking faster. And pretty soon, you look at each other, and pretty next thing you know, you're running. And you're running as fast as you can. And John, man, he runs real fast. John was quicker. They believed John was a little younger. So naturally, John was a little bit more champion of runs. So he gets there. It turned out to be a race. It turned out to be a race. I'm going to get there first. I'm going to get there first. So they ran down. They ran down to the tomb. Can you imagine this? These two grown men running like this, looking over the shoulder. Peter's going, They're running down to the tomb. It must have been great. And in verse 4, it says, So they both ran together, and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. When he got there, did he do his rocky dance? Did he stand there like this? I beat you. Hey, where you been? Come on. I mean, think about it. These guys were always one-upping each other. I'm the greatest. No, you're not. M2. Uh-uh. Yes, sir. No. I mean, come on. They're always doing this. Turned out to be a race. Who would get bragging rights? John gets there first, and he looks in. He looks in, verse 5, and stooping down and looking in, he saw the linen clothes there, lying there, yet he did not go in. He looked in. Surprise! Mary was right. Mary was right. He's not there. Mary was right. He looks in. Surprise! Just like Mary said. It's interesting John just looks in. He doesn't go in. Very interesting. Now, John writing this is very, very good with Greek words, and he uses three different Greek words to describe what each of them saw. The Greek word here for saw is blepo, B-L-E-P-O. It means to glance in and to look. He looked in. He wasn't there. Why didn't he go in? Why didn't John go in? It doesn't say why he didn't go in at this time. He must have beaten Peter pretty solidly because he had time to wait for him, look in, and come back out. He didn't immediately go in the tomb. Maybe he was out of breath from running. Maybe he just looked in there. Maybe he looked in and saw the linen clothes. Ah, you know. But he beat Peter pretty good. Maybe he was just trying to get a grip on the situation. Maybe he's trying to organize his thoughts in his head. I don't know. It doesn't say. What a surprise. Can you imagine? John saw him die. John was there when he said, it is finished. John saw him die. John was there when he took him off the cross, when they laid him on this board and they carried him to the tomb. John was there. John saw with his own eyes. He saw his, his, his master, his friend. He saw the lifeless body. He saw it. Where is he? Look at verse 6 and 7. Then Peter, Simon Peter came following him. And went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloth lying there, and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded together in a place by itself. Peter finally gets there. Yo, John, give me a break, bud. Holy mackerel. Peter gets there. He's huffing, and he's puffing, and he's trying to get in. He looks in, and he reacts differently than John, doesn't he? He goes in. Now, before I read this and I first view of Peter, my thoughts of Peter going into the tomb was like, all right, where is he? Throwing the clothes around. I know he's here someplace. I mean, doesn't that fit what Peter would do, Mr. Impulsive? That fits, right? But he really didn't do that. He went in and surprise, Jesus wasn't there. He sees the same thing that John saw, but the Greek word here used for him is therel. It means he looked carefully. He observed. 
And it's really interesting that in Luke 24, 12, it tells us that when Peter came out of the tomb, he marveled. When the marvel here, I would expect Peter to run into the tomb and throw the clothes all over the place. But he didn't do that. He examined the clothes. He noticed that they were neatly folded. He marveled to himself. And the Greek word here is thaumadzo. It means to wonder, to admire, to marvel. He wondered. He marveled at what he saw. Could it be true? Did Jesus really rise from the dead? The surprise was overwhelming. Because if he didn't rise from the dead, where was his body? Peter went into the tomb. John did not. John sees Peter, goes in, and he says, well, if I, he can go in, I can go in. And he follows. Look at verse 8. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first, I love John. <laughs> Always wants to remember, I beat him. I beat him. Hey, I got there first. Don't worry, let be said. When and also, he saw and believed. You got to love John. You got to love that verse. You have got to love that verse verse. He saw and he believes. The Greek word here for Saul is idos. It means to perceive with intellectual comprehension. He saw and he believed. The word for believe is pusteo, which means he saw and had faith. He believed. His faith soared. He believed. For John, the surprise was a reality. He believed. He got it. John Got it. He knew. Imagine what was going on in their heads. Two people looking into the empty tomb with two different actions, two different reactions. One marveled and wondered. One marveled and wondered at what happened. The other one simply believed by faith. Childlike faith. He saw and he believed. They both saw the evidence. The tomb was empty. By the way, I've been to both of them. They're both empty. Even today, folks. They are both empty. And they both came to different conclusions. One marveled, one believed. I love what Guzik says about John. Quote, Generally, the very first Christians did not believe in the resurrection only because the tomb was empty. They did believe. They believed in the resurrection only because the tomb was empty. But because they saw and met the resurrected Jesus. John is an exception, he says. He believed simply by seeing the empty tomb before meeting the resurrected Christ. John believed. John believed. John gives a commentary that we already read in verse 9. He says, For as yet they did not know Scripture that he must rise again from the dead. So they went to their own homes in verse 10. They went to their homes. They saw it. They went to their own homes. Now the other Gospels give greater detail. The other Gospels give you more detail. Peter, uh, John is going to continue with his details when Mary Magdalene somehow goes back to the tomb. Both Peter and John knew the fact of the resurrection because they saw the evidence. Jesus' body was not in the tomb. So what does the resurrection mean for us? And how do you react to the empty tomb? How do you react to the fact that Jesus is not there. Again, Gusick, quote, knowing the fact of the resurrection is an important start, but it's not enough. He continues, we need to let the Bible tell us the meaning and the importance of Jesus' resurrection. So, leafing through the scriptures, what does the Bible tell us? 
Well, the Bible tells us that the resurrection means that everything Jesus told us about himself was true. He indeed is the Son of God. And being the Son of God, by believing in him, we too can have eternal life. And that's what the resurrection tells us. Resurrection tells us that God has a plan, an eternal plan, for these mortal bodies that will be changed in an instant. He has a plan. The resurrection means to us that Jesus is alive today. Hallelujah. He is risen and he's risen indeed. He's alive today. He's working in our hearts. He's working in your family's hearts. He's working everywhere in our ministries. The resurrection tells us that Christianity and our God that we serve is unique and completely different than any religion in the world. Any religion whatsoever. Once again, Guzik says, quote, the death of Jesus on the cross, I love this, was the payment. The resurrection was the receipt, showing the payment was perfect in the sight of God the Father, unquote. I love that. How do you view the resurrection? The resurrection tells us how much God loves us. The resurrection tells us how much God loves us. He loves us just like he loved the disciples. And he wants to bring us into that understanding and he wants to bring us into that belief. He wants us to look back at the events on our own lives and examine the scripture to see that his words are pure and true and his promises are all confirmed. So the woman and the disciples were surprised that day. They were surprised that Jesus rose from the dead. But I want to talk about a couple other surprises that are coming. I want to talk a few minutes about a couple other surprises that are on the way. We read of a day coming when we will leave this earth and meet Jesus in the air. A day that could come for some like a thief in the night. A day that will catch many by surprise. But the disciples have been given fair warning And we too have been given fair warning about this event that we call the rapture of the church. Jesus spoke of it in John 14, 1 to 3. You can read the verses yourself. The apostle Paul affirms it in 1 Corinthians 5, 51 through 52. And he confirms it again in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18, that there is a time coming, a time coming when those who believe will be caught up in the air to meet our Savior, to meet our Jesus. Those who believe in Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for salvation, for the forgiveness of sin. Those that believe that he did rise again on the third day. When you believe in that, you're called the church. You're called his bride. And upon receiving Jesus as your Savior, you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes and lives inside you. The Holy Spirit has a job. And one of those jobs is to conform you into the image of Jesus Christ, to sanctify you, to make you holy, to make you pure, so that when you meet the Lord in the air, you will be pure and chaste. So Jesus is coming for his bride, his church, at an unknown day and an unknown time, and we will be caught up in the air to meet with him. And after this is a period known as the Great Tribulation. It lasts for seven years. It's a time when God's wrath is pulled out upon the world, God's wrath. But from Scripture, we know that the church will not be subject to God's wrath. We are not subject to God's wrath. You can read that in uh, Romans 5, 9, 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, and Romans 1, 18. We are not subject to God's wrath. God will deliver the righteous, and he will reserve the ungodly for a day of judgment. Peter spoke about that in 2 Peter 2. We read that. 
how he delivered Lot when he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, how he delivered Noah out of the world when the flood came. When you realize that the tribulation is of God and from God, it automatically takes God's people out from being involved. It is not just consistent with the character of God to judge the righteous with the wicked. That's inconsistent to God. He doesn't do that. But those who have accepted Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for the forgiveness of sin will go through this who have not accepted, excuse me, those who have not accepted Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for the forgiveness of sin will go through this great time of wrath. They will be deemed wicked and they will have to God's judgment cast upon them. I believe the Lord wants us to believe that we are in the last days. Why? Because we are in the last days. This should give us an urgency to take the gospel message everywhere we go. It should give us a perspective on material things, which will pass away when the Lord comes. We don't have any use for material things when the kingdom is at hand. This is a surprise that is waiting. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you will be what they called left behind. You will go through this great time of wrath, a horrible time in which the first day, one-third of the world is killed. And you can still accept Christ as your Savior during this time, but you will have to be martyred in. You will have to use your head. Your head will have to be cut off to come in. Don't be surprised. It's another one that's waiting. But I believe that there's another one waiting. There's another surprise yet to come. Matthew talks about it in his gospel in chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say in that day, Lord, Lord, we have, have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Another surprise. I did all these things for you. Did you? I never knew you. Depart from me. Depart from me. It's a warning. It's a warning of Jesus that applies to those who say they know Jesus, but their spiritual life has nothing to do with him. Their spiritual life has absolutely nothing to do with him. They come to church on Sunday because that's what you do. And then you live like heck the rest of the week, doing all sorts of things. You fulfill your religious duties, but you continue to sin against God. You continue to sin against man just as you didn't know who Jesus was. We're all going to stand before Jesus one day, and every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Is it going to be a surprise to you when he says, depart from me, I've never known you? Many will cry out that day, Lord, Lord, we've done this, we've done that. I never knew you. Listen to those words, I never knew you. They should send shivers up and down your spine. Never knew you. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to examine ourselves to see if we're in the faith. We're supposed to examine our spells. We're supposed to open our hearts to God and say, search me, O Lord. Try me. See if there's any wicked way in me. I want to walk the walk. I want to talk the talk. I want to be your child. I want to be recognized as your child. Make it clear to me, Lord, if I'm playing, if I'm posing. Are you a poser? Make it clear to me. Read Psalm 139. David. You've encircled me of all your ways. Such knowledge is too great for me. I can't attain it. 
Search me, O God, and try my heart. It's important that the heart is deceitfully wicked. You can't trust in your heart unless you have Jesus Christ in there. In fact, a person who is a hearer of the word and not a doer is a person who is deceiving himself. You are self-delusional. You are deceiving yourself. And when you get up there and you're going to be, he'll go, surprise, I never knew you. Bible warns us clearly over this false deception. And because there is danger of self-deception, it's important that I now submit myself to the Spirit of God. I submit myself to the Lord. Lord, you are my Lord. You are my master. You are own me. You bought me with a price. It cost you your dear blood. I belong to you. My life is not my own anymore. I want to walk your way. I don't want to be in wickedness anymore. Then there are those who never make a profession of faith in Jesus Christ. For them, there will also be a horrible surprise. A surprise that will lead to everlasting darkness, everlasting damnation, total separation from God for eternity. These are surprises, ladies and gentlemen, that we don't want any part of. These are surprises that we don't want any part of. We don't want to be surprised when he calls us in the air. We want to be waiting for him. We want to make sure that everything we do is as unto him. That I'm giving him glory. That I'm not receiving honor and praise for the things I do. That he gets the praise and the glory. And we want to make sure that we have a relationship to him, God, the Father, through Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Those are Jesus' words, not mine. But I wholeheartedly believe them. I wholeheartedly believe that we need to think about what we're doing and how we're doing it and why we're doing it. What purpose are we doing what we do? What purpose are you here today? What, what drew you here? I'm sure it was the Holy Spirit. So what do we do? Well, I can tell you right now, if you haven't accepted Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross for the remission of sins, that's the place to start. That's the place to start. Come right to the cross, confess your sins, ask him to come into your life and to be born again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Believe that God raised them from the dead on the third day, what we just talked about. Luke tells us to occupy till he comes. Go about the business at hand, whether you're a school teacher, a student, a housewife, whatever it is you do, do it as unto the Lord. Continue to do it as unto the Lord. And when he comes, you'll be received up into heaven. You'll be received by him. We do those things and we share the gospel with everybody in shouting distance. I want to be watching. I want to be ready to meet Jesus when he comes. I don't want to be doing anything that would disqualify me. I don't want to be out there doing anything that it would find fault in him. And as a church, I want us to be ready to meet Jesus Christ. My challenge to you is that if you haven't accepted Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, that you do it and believe it unto salvation today. If you need to confess your sins, confess your sins. If you need to come back to the Lord, come back to the Lord. If you need to draw closer to Him, draw closer to Him. Whatever the Spirit is telling you to do today, do it. You are a the Gospel of John was written from a perspective that provides an eyewitness account of what happened during the life of Jesus here on earth. 
Different than the other three Gospels, John's book describes Jesus in ways that confirm him as the Son of God. There are things done and said that can only point to Jesus being far more powerful than what a human could do. In the Old Testament, God referred to himself as, I am. In this book, John recounts how Jesus said, I am the light of the world, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and I am the resurrection and the life. These were bold statements, but Jesus proved throughout his ministry that they were indeed true. He lived a life that compelled people to follow at that time, to seek him out, and to commit their lives. And we can also follow him today. If you missed any part of today's teaching, or you'd like to listen to additional messages from Pastor Dave, visit AssureHopeRadio.com. Perhaps you were listening, you realized that you have some questions about faith, and maybe even about salvation. We'd be happy to talk with you and provide some resources to answer your questions. Give us a call at 609-884-5821. Again, that's 609-884-5821. You can also click on the Jesus tab at AssureHopeRadio.com. This will provide you with a succinct picture of who Jesus is and how he can change your life. Thank you again for taking the time to learn about God's Word today. We hope you'll join us again next time on Assure Hope.